And now, more sports and torts with David Spada and Elliot Herring. Welcome back. And our second interview of the hour, former Tennessee and Florida coach, Doug Dickey. You know, I was very fortunate uh, to have uh, played football in college when Frank Voles was a uh, uh, an assistant coach at the University of Florida, and uh, I played for a couple guys that played uh, in the Army backfield. One of them was Dale Hall, who played uh, was the right halfback for for Doc Blanchard and Glenn Davis. He was the other halfback, the other back, and so he was our coach and. Well, after I got out of college, I was in the Army, and he recommended me for a coaching job, and I got into coaching with Frank Broyles at Arkansas. As, uh, when he made the move from Missouri to Arkansas, originally I was on that staff. Spent six years there and uh, got to know the world of college football from recruiting to coaching, offense and defense both. And my former college coach was Bob Woodruff, who also was a connection for Frank Brawls. He actually hired Frank Brawls, and Frank Brawls got out of college, and at this time, he had become the athletic director of Tennessee, and they offered me a head coaching job at the University of Tennessee, and uh, that was, uh, you know, a, a magnificent opportunity and a place with uh, an incredible tradition in college football. Uh, Bob Nealon, uh did some magnificent things there over 25 years of uh, of coaching and and uh, then went on to be the athletic director for another four or five years before he passed away. But that was a uh, a magnificent opportunity and a place with deep, deep tradition where a lot of the former players had stayed in Knoxville. Knoxville was a fairly good-sized town then, still is, and... Uh, players found jobs and they were able to stay in East Tennessee and work and uh, so it was great uh, camaraderie among the ex-players and the local environment of it and it was uh, still a lot of excitement because the people who had won national championship games were still there and a lot of them lived in town. The the key trustee on my uh, board for many years was a former player who uh, whose valley son owns the Cleveland Browns now, Jim Haslam, and uh, so he was uh, had been an offensive tackle on the national championship team, and a lot of for Neyland and a lot of uh, people that uh, had uh, played uh, were were quite involved in the community. Uh, one of the uh, uh, backs there had gotten a PhD at Michigan, came back to. Tennessee and wrote several books on Malin and was around town there and so it was it was it's quite a dramatic place to be part of and I was very fortunate and we had some uh, really outstanding football players that came through while I was there that uh, we were able to recruit and got some championship performance going out of our teams and uh, things uh, were very good for us um, I, I decided to go home to the University of Florida in 1970 after having spent six years at Tennessee, and uh, the circumstances at Florida were where they decided to make a change, and then the coach had a great year on you know, the last year, and so the enthusiasm for the change had wilted a little bit, but the president made it anyway, and so I came into Florida with a little bit of a deflated balloon out of out of the change that. Uh, I had hoped we would have uh, more enthusiasm for it, but it didn't work. But it was my home school, and I went back and 
we 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 made a good run, but we missed the championship in there after about six years. We missed the championship on a couple of plays each year, and uh, things dropped off a little for us, and we got fired. So uh, I spent uh, five years outside of coaching then, and uh, went back in as an athletic director at the University of Tennessee uh, when Coach Woodruff retired and. Uh, those were, I spent 18 years in at the University of Tennessee as athletic director from 1985 to 2003, and we had some uh, wonderful runs in there of, of, uh, of uh, football as well as the uh, other sports, and uh, it was a great experience. I, I treasure those years at the University of Tennessee very much, and a wonderful place to live and a wonderful place to go to school. and. So I, I had some great times. Uh, I mean, we had Peyton Manning, Todd Helton, uh, Alan Houston, and and uh, a couple other guys there all at the same time who were uh, Melvin Stewart, who won a, a gold medal in a, in a butterfly event, and a guy that won the 880 in three years in a row, all all there at the same time. So we had some some great great moments and great players, and a very exciting thing to be part of, and. You know, you take the things that happen on the downside and you work your way off of them and through them and you enjoy the upside. And we had a national championship team that played in the first uh, ball game out there in Phoenix, Arizona that Philip Fulmer coached. And that was a, that was a great, great moment, great excitement for the Tennessee fans to uh, be there. I, I thought one of the great moments in my whole coaching career was the last mile of a bus ride into that stadium. It was completely lined in Phoenix, Arizona with Tennessee fans who had come to that national championship game when we played Florida State. It was probably, I think, one of the most emotional moments I've seen with a football team going into a, into a game. It was a terrific experience. And we had another terrific experience uh, in New Orleans when in my first year as athletic director at Tennessee, my son Darrell was the quarterback for the team, and uh, they won – a uh, Sugar Bowl game against Miami when Miami was playing for the national championship and Tennessee won the game and Darrell was the most valuable player in the game. So those are some really some highlight moments for me of, of coaching and ADing that uh, uh, made life really worthwhile. It was a great, great experience. I've retired to Jacksonville and been here for about 10 years now. And none of that happens if your father doesn't take a job as a professor at the University of Florida. <laughs> well, right? yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, of course, the best thing that happened to me, uh, we were I was born in South Dakota, and he moved from South Dakota to Baton Rouge when, uh, uh, to get his Ph.D. Uh, after I was about three years old. Now, if he had stayed in South Dakota, I don't know what would have happened then, but... Uh, the uh, uh but I I'm a you know I'm a real son of the Southeastern Conference and uh, there aren't many people who have jumped off the high diving board in LSU on the back of Steve Van Buren so uh, that's how far <laughs> back I go <laughs> when I was about six years old you know six seven years old so that's a, that's a long way back there yes it is now. Were you recruited out of high school as a football uh, player? Well, I, I was very, very lightly. I, uh, I had some connections. My dad did was a professor, and he had some friend at Ohio University had contacted me. But 
I really not. And I actually uh, had a tryout as a basketball player at Florida. And then I had decided I was just going to walk on in basketball and, uh, and, and baseball at the University of Florida. I knew the coach. And one day um, I happened to be uh, walking, uh, uh, riding a truck back. I was working on the grounds department at the University of Florida, riding a truck in at the end of practice. And they had finished practice down the road and then coach fuller who was the freshman football coach and head baseball coach saw me and i waved at him he waved back at me and my phone rang that night and he said why don't you come out here for football I said uh you know i think you play with some of these guys and so i said well i'll give it a try so i went out there and i remember i was the seventh string quarterback on the freshman team when i got there and ended up being the starting quarterback three years later so that was a long road through a lot of bodies, but uh, it uh, turned out to be a great, great experience. And uh, I played football, basketball, and baseball for two years, and then just just played uh, football and baseball my last two years in college. What was Coach Woodruff like? Coach Woodruff was a, a, an engineering graduate. He was a guy with a, a really slow version of the, of the English language that he very slow about his mannerisms, but a very deep thinker and a guy that uh, always had uh, some interesting ingenuity about him. He uh, was able to come up with thoughts and ideas about things and got other people to do them for him. And uh, one of the marks of great leadership, I guess, is getting other people to do what you want done because they want to do it, you know. So. He, he he was able to do that. He he had a leadership knack about him that got that done and had a lot of uh, ingenuity. Didn't mind uh, uh, opening new doors and using uh, ingenuity about things. And so I, I enjoyed my experience with him. He was a wonderful man, a very kind man, and uh, had a had a nice uh, was well, first wife died uh, in that tragic accident, and his second wife Trudy was wonderful person too so i get to know i knew both of his wives and they were a nice family wonderful he, people he called you one of the brainiest quarterbacks he ever saw does that mean you weren't athletic ah well <laughs> i probably wasn't wasn't the greatest physical specimen that ever got under center i'll assure you that but i was about six two and 175 pounds but uh you know we didn't we, we, we handed the ball off a lot we didn't throw it much uh even though there were teams that were throwing the ball a lot in those days, uh, we, we were not designed that way. We were designed more to be a running team, a, a, a typical Tennessee mentality. You know, he, he played for Neyland. And uh, the Tennessee axioms of how, how you play the game of football were a very, very prominent part of his style and avoid losing, uh, punt the ball, uh, play defense to the hilt, uh, uh, make take advantage of turnovers. Uh, if you kick it over the 50-yard line, the other guy will only score once out of 12 times. And so that theory of football was one that uh, we were part of in those days when I played. And then coaching-wise, uh, those things still hung around. I think I uh, threw the ball as a coach a whole lot more than they did. And we got it up to where we were throwing it 25 or 30 times a game. Now they're throwing it 30, 40 to 50 times a game. You know, so different world. Now, one of your teammates at Florida was Haywood Sullivan, who decided to uh, leave, become a, a baseball player with the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. 
Yep, he uh, he signed a, a, an early contract with him and ended up being, you know, a partial owner sure. of the Red Sox later on. Uh, hey, Haywood was a great friend and, and a fellow that I had a great admiration for. He was truly a, a very gifted athlete and signed one of those unusual guys in those days to sign an early contract. And I got an opportunity to play because of it, because I would have been another year before I got to play because of him, but uh, he uh, he left, and they had an opening at quarterback, and so I got to play after a couple games. They tried some other people. After a couple games, I was a starting safety man, and they moved me over to quarterback, and we were able to win about seven games. I then played in the University of Florida's first bowl game against Tulsa in 1952. One of, hey, one of those hey, what, great athlete, great athlete. Yeah, one of those guys they tried at quarterback is familiar to Bears fans with a good memory. A guy by the name of Rick Casares. Hello? Hello, I didn't understand that. I'm sorry. Yeah. One of the guys they tried at quarterback before you was Rick Casares, who Bears fans Rick remember. Rick, uh, uh, yeah, of course, had a great career with with the Chicago Bears, and uh, I attended his funeral about six months ago. Rick uh Rick was a great teammate. He was uh he was in my freshman class to get with me and uh, we played through four years together there and he was a uh, truly a, a fantastic teammate to have. Uh, I I truly think he was the greatest athlete in the history of the University of Florida uh as an all-around athlete. He played football, basketball, threw the javelin, came out for baseball. Uh, was a, he was a starter, of course, in basketball and football, and was a, was a great javelin thrower. Uh, was a guy that uh, just was terrific to have around. Uh, you could count on him to, uh, to to be the man of the hour and whatever you wanted to do, you know. And he 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 was a, uh, uh, a very gifted uh, athlete, not very ex- extremely fast, but a guy that uh, had enough speed to. Overcome anything else that uh, might happen. He was a very strong person in those days when we didn't lift weights. He was uh, built like he'd been lifting weights. He was a tough guy, too, because Paul Hornick, I remember telling us that he basically walked out of a bar, a guy got in his face, and he just destroyed the guy. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he, he was a boxer. He was a Golden Gloves boxing champion uh, <laughs> at an early age before he ever got to college. He had won that. So. He was he was quite an athlete, a great great teammate to have. I'll assure you that. How did you end up getting on Frank Broyles' staff? Was that because well, Woodward as I say, uh, when you? I was in the army, yeah, he he moved from Missouri to Arkansas, and I had a he had one job left for a defensive backfield coach, and he was at the national coaches convention in January, and visiting with some of his fellow coaches and Dale Hall who was an assistant coach at Florida at the time and went on to be the head coach at Army, had recommended me to him as somebody that could fill that job for him, and he didn't have a lot of money to pay anybody. And so he called me, and I was in the Army, and um, uh, I had another year to go. And I said, listen, uh, Frank, uh, let me let me see what I can do here, because I had just coached the Fort Carson, Colorado team to the All-Army Championship, and they had a little celebration, you know, and the uh, and the general said, Lieutenant, uh, said, if anything I can ever do for you, come see me. So I said, okay, I'm going to see the general. So I go see him, and, and he calls a career management guy in Washington, and Frank Brawls has uh, one of the senators call the same people, and they make a deal that if I join the Arkansas National Guard, they'll let me out of the Army. So 
they uh, let me out of the Army a year early. I was a pilot. Uh, I'd been through flight training, and I'd been in there 30 months already, and so they let me out uh, a year early to take that job, and I joined the Arkansas National Guard and was there for six years in the Arkansas National Guard as well as coaching at the University of Arkansas for Frank. What was the Razorback experience like for you? Well, the Razorbacks uh, were, were, were a, a program that had had some highlights again of their own. Bowden White had been there uh, and had left, uh, and Jack Mitchell had come in to uh, to take it. He had gone back to Kansas, so both people had come and left, and Frank came. Uh, the guy said, I need to stay, and Frank Rawls became extremely popular, and we we were one of those times when you could sign as many people as you wanted. So we brought in about a hundred players there for a couple of years, and some of them on part scholarships, some of them on full scholarships, some of them on one-year scholarships, and they all came. And we worked our way through people, and pretty soon we had a we had a really good team, and and uh, won some championships. Played in the Sugar Bowl two, three years, the Cotton Bowl once, and. Uh, just had a fantastic experience of success. My my last year there was not as good. We did not play in a bowl game, but the following year they won a national championship. So Frank had a had a great run as a great person, and I think was one of the uh, brightest people that have ever coached a game of football. From all the technical standpoints of how the game is played, he was amazing as to what he saw and could can can could, could could try to put forth from a team I remember a guy saying one time he said you know I hear you guys talk about the game but when I look at film what you talk about actually happens out there so nobody's uh, telling any stories about what we're doing we were actually making it happen and so that was a good uh, very uh, fine uh, tribute to Frank I thought did you ever get to play golf with Frank at Augusta? Because I know he's a member down there. I did. I have. I played about three times down there with him. We've had a good time. I did when I was at Tennessee, and I did one time since I've been at Florida. Went up. In fact, one year we hit the first ball off the tee when they opened it for the season. So, so it was a quite a wonderful experience. Yeah, it's a, he's a, been a member there forever. I don't know if Frank still plays there or not, but he. He he was a great member and, and 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 had a number of us in there as his guests. We talked Wonderful about experience. we talked about six months ago. He's still playing. Is he really? How about that? Who was a better golfer? Oh, he is. He was a better <laughs> golfer. He was good. Yeah, he was a great athlete, Frank. So he he enjoyed playing golf and worked at it harder than anybody I've ever seen. What what I've never understood is how football coaches have the time to become good golfers. Well, uh, he didn't when he was coaching that much, but he did when he was an AD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't take them long to learn, you know. The football coaches learn pretty fast, and some of them are pretty good athletes to start with. Sure. Were you ready to take a head coaching job when Bob Woodruff came to you, or had you been waiting for a couple of years for something like that to happen? Uh you know, I probably was, and uh, I've been an assistant coach for six years, and uh, that's uh, not a lot of time for some people, but uh, I think I've been on both sides of the ball, and uh, with with the right athletic director, I think so. Uh, I think uh, I was able to bring a good coaching staff together, people about my age and in their, in their 30s, and young people in their, in their early 30s who had been also been coaches eight to ten years at that time, and 
I lost a little time being in the Army, and some of them didn't. So that was uh, the difference in my having eight or ten years coaching as opposed to having six years coaching. But I'd actually had eight years coaching, once in the, one year in the Army, one year in high school, and six years in, in college. So I thought so, and uh, it was a thing that I felt like I, I, I made a lot of the right decisions and managed it pretty well. Yeah, you started three traditions that still go with Tennessee, the power to yeah. decal, the end zones with the checkerboard, and also the marching T formation with the band. Yeah, yeah, there's some things that I, I watched them Sunday night. I saw some things there that still part of it that um, I'm proud that those things have lasted all this time. How, how did you come up with the idea for the checkerboard end zones? You know, I don't know where that one came from. Uh, I must have seen it somewhere else and thought that would be appropriate for us. Um, I'm sure it was something somewhere that uh, we picked up on from some high school or something that we had seen, and the idea of doing something in the end zone that would be a little a little attractive. And, uh, you know, the band story was uh, more we changed sides of the field. Neilan had always sat on the east side of the field, and the dressing room was right behind him. The door was right in the 50-yard line going into the dressing room at that time. So we went over to sit on the west side of the field, and I said, look, uh, you know, we got a problem here. If the other team comes out on the field first, we'll have to run right through that team to get on the other side of the field. So I said, let's have the band stop there and open up a tee, and then the other team won't run through our band, surely. They may run through us, but they won't pick a fight with our band. So we opened the tee up there where we could run through the tee and get on the field and not run into the other team uh, before we got on the field, before the game started. And so then they turned it around when they put the new dressing room in the north end. They just turned that tee around, and so that's how it all got started with the band director. I think one of your greatest accomplishments there was like integrating the team when you got Lester McLean. Yeah, that was a period of time that uh, both at Tennessee and Florida we went through the integration uh, move. Uh, the uh, you know Tennessee uh, was like uh, North Carolina and Texas. They went to integration uh, immediately and did not go to separate and equal as some of the other states did. So integration took place a little faster in Tennessee, and the high schools uh, were producing people that uh, were available. And we had one of the great all-time high school players at Alcoa right down the road from us. And uh, and, uh, so uh, uh, we were recruiting him, and then we needed, we thought, somebody else. So we got Lester McLean. And uh, the other fellow didn't make it. So, so Lester was the only guy for a year. And then we began to fill out with other people. But it was uh, it was an interesting period of time. Very smooth uh, without any problems at Tennessee. Integration in Florida was a little different, different because the state had not uh, followed the Supreme Court decisions uh of uh, uh, the, there was an appeal out there on it for the separate but equal, which Florida was in. So there were more people in North Florida and so forth that fought that problem, uh, integration issue, difficult, that differently than it was in Tennessee. So, but we got it done in both places, and uh, uh, of course the black athletes have been predominant now in the game. You know, Florida is a state where. 
a lot of schools from out of the state would sort of swoop down to take players from, and you also have to go up against uh, Florida A&M and Jake Gaither, who would recruit players. How difficult yeah. was it? How difficult was it getting black players to be? Uh, not not at all, not at all, because it was a great mo- moment in time for the University of Florida to open up. It's a, 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 a very, very proud uh, academic institution to the uh, uh, the African-American population of the state of Florida. And we didn't have any problem at all getting people to come. Of course, Florida State got into it very quickly at the same time. And so uh, it, it didn't, uh, they began to come from Miami and all over the state to the University of Florida. Was, so to go to Florida State of Florida was a very, very... T- proud moment for many of them and uh, those early guys that I've been back to some reunions and all we had that they're very proud of the role they played in uh, having been part of the integration of the University of Florida and the, the football program. Who is the best player you ever coached? Well, uh, there are different positions, I think, that, that you have to look at that. Uh, uh, I had Bob Johnson at, uh, Florida, at Tennessee, who was a great center for us and was the captain of our championship team in 1967. He went on to play for the Cincinnati Bengals for a number of years as an offensive lineman. I think he was in the status by himself. I had Steve DeLong was a defensive lineman who won the Outland Trophy and went on to play for San Diego and Chicago a little bit too. I think uh, the uh, uh, I think one of the best offensive player maybe I ever coached was Wes Chandler, who was a receiver at Florida, was a truly a terrific player. Uh, and we had some linebackers that uh, had four or five linebackers who were very good players: Steve Kiner and Jack Reynolds. Uh, both played for a long time. One of the, one of the truly great football players we had was Paul Newmall, who played for Detroit for a long time. Uh, Tennessee never got the great college acclaim that some of the others did. He was just a one-year All-American, but he was, he was really a terrific football player. And we had, uh, uh, Glenn Cameron at Florida and Ralph Ortega and, and Sammy Green were all three linebackers at the same time. We had Jack Youngblood at Florida Force. So a lot of guys that played different positions that it's hard for me to say one was better than the other, but they were all uh, outstanding, outstanding players. Did John Chris, Reed... Collinsworth, uh, Chris Collinsworth was a receiver for us, yeah. Did, did John Reeves have the best arm of any quarterback you had? You know, uh, John, uh, John may have. Uh, I coached Bobby Scott, too, at Tennessee. Okay. And Bobby Scott was Archie Manning's backup for about ten years in New Orleans, and uh, okay. he he probably had the best arm really of anybody I've coached. He was he was terrific uh, with uh, with throwing the ball and just never had a great pro career, but he was a wonderful uh, college quarterback for us. There's nothing wrong with being a backup quarterback in the NFL because you're always. <laughs> You know, you're, you're, you're the one that, that the fans love when the court starters having problems. So yeah, you got it, you got it. Yeah, nobody more popular than a second string quarterback. <laughs> when you went from Tennessee to Florida, and you coached your last game against Florida, and the, the news came out that you were headed to Florida, how difficult a moment was that for you? Well, those are that was a. Uh, a tough situation for all of us there because the 
timing of having played that bowl game, if we'd have played in a bowl game somewhere else, it would have been much better off for everybody. But if I had that to do over again, I would never have accepted that situation, knowing the conditions that uh, that were possibly existing there. Uh, we'd have been better off to go play somewhere else at a bowl game, but Coach Woodruff wanted to go down there and play that game. So as uh, they said, Tennessee fans like to go to Gator Bowl, so... Okay, uh, it's easy to do, but uh, it was a, you know, a diff- it was a difficult situation to try to handle it publicly with all the rumors going around. It made made it just just difficult for everybody. But at the same time, we managed to get it done, and 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 and, and played really pretty well. Tennis to Florida had a very good defensive team that year, and and that was really the strength that they had Reeves and Alvarez and all. But the strength of their team was on defense. With a whole bunch of veteran players, and uh, we uh, we just couldn't get enough done offensively. Do you think you accomplished more as an athletic director or as a coach? Wow, I don't know. It uh, <laughs> uh, that's an interesting question. I, I I don't know what I could say. One was more than the other, I suppose. As you know, we were we made a, we had a national championship team on one pole as a coach, and it was there as a, with a national championship team as an athletic director. And as an athletic director, we won the Southeastern Conference Championship in every sport we sponsored during the time I was there, and won a couple national championships in track, and won in football, and played for the national championship twice in tennis, and we went to Omaha with a World Series a couple times. So you know, I. I feel good about everything. Played a lot of bowl games as a coach, and probably uh, feel like that was about as did about as well as one as I did the other. And you stole Peyton Manning from Ole Miss because I heard Archie say that he was getting death threats when he committed to go play for you guys. Wait a minute! Now say that again. And you got and you stole uh, Peyton Manning from Ole Miss because oh. I heard, I heard Archie <laughs> Manning say that they were getting death threats because his son didn't go to Ole Miss. <laughs> Yeah, no. Well, that was a that was an interesting recruit by Coach Fulmer, and one of it certainly set the stage for a lot of outstanding players to come and surround themselves at Tennessee at that period of time. I think that might be the 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 highest number of high quality players I was ever associated with, in any as a coach or a player that Philip had there for a couple of years. He uh, he really had a high high quality football program and. We uh, got it down to one game one year, and then win the national championship the next year, thirteen and zero. And that was a that was a wonderful job that Philip did, and a quite quite a terrific performance by those players. Did you ever have the chance to talk to General Neyland about the nineteen thirty eight season when Tennessee did? I never allow did. It? I, I never. Did. General Neyland had passed away by the okay. time I got to be the athletic director. And, and uh, I, uh, as a coach, uh, I, I never had a chance to visit with him. No, I never did. That's uh, they had an undefeated, untied, unscored on the year, and then they lost the bowl game. But that was a, you know, an unbelievable accomplishment. But the game was so much different then than it is now. I mean, there's nobody, you know, if you get out of the first quarter unscored on, you feel fortunate. Do, do you like the game today as opposed to the game that you played? Well, I'm not so sure I like it that much more. It is an exciting game. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, the game is just uh, completely different in that it's spread out from one sideline to the other, and people just gradually kept spreading the game out and caused the defense to spread out, and this is the field's the same size. 
But now we have uh, uh, people lined up all, all over the place, and of course the offensive linemen using their hands on pass protection changed the whole game, and so that uh, caused everybody to start throwing it more and figuring out how to do it and getting the shotgun going uh, was one of those things that you know uh, Matty Bell and guys were doing at uh, SMU and TCU back there in the late 30s were doing the same thing and people have gone back to that now so it's a, 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 an interesting mix uh, of course the quarterback is more like a, a lot of the quarterbacks anyway are like the old single wing tailbacks but they're now 6'5 and weigh 230 instead of being 6'1 <laughs> and weighing 200 you were you hired Steve Spurrier when you were at Florida. Did, any idea that he would go on to have the career that he has enjoyed? Uh, probably not, no. But he was around town, and uh, we needed somebody to help us get a different uh, offensive mix going. And I felt Steve had been around an awful lot of football for a long time and uh, was there, and uh, he would be – uh, warmly received at the University of Florida and would have plenty of knowledge of what to do throw in the football and we needed some help for that so I thought it was a great marriage and of course he didn't. we didn't last for the year together and he went to, to Georgia Tech with Pepper Rogers for the same reason and they got fired at the end of a year so <laughs> it, uh, then, so Steve got fired first two games other than that, it was, it was you know he did a, he did a great job. I was very pleased with what Steve did, and uh, I'm glad he's had a terrific record. We've been good friends. How hard was it to let go of Johnny Majors because he was an icon down there at Tennessee? He played there and he coached there for years. Yes, he did, and uh, we had some um, some uh, uh, some 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 good years. And John did a wonderful job, and 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 some of the program had. Had dipped down a little bit, and John had some 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 issues with a number of the people, and we had just had an unhappy family at Tennessee for a while there, and uh, sometimes it's up to the athletic director to straighten out the family. So uh, that's what I was going to do, and uh, managed to get the president and myself, and we decided to make a change and try to straighten out the whole support system for the universities for the football program, and it worked. And uh, Philip came in and did an excellent job. Everybody got on board, and we got rolling again, and Philip kind of ran into the same issues with the athletic director and people being unhappy, and they made another change. So uh, that's not an unusual thing in college football, but one of those times that sometimes it's more difficult than others when you have a, a, a popular a person who has been very popular, and then all of a sudden it kind of starts getting split up a little bit, and so you have to figure out how to keep the momentum going again. After Florida, did you think there would be another head coaching job in your future? Uh, well, I, I, I never knew that for sure. I had a couple opportunities and decided not to do it. So I, I stayed out of coaching. There were schools that I didn't feel real comfortable going to, and uh, so I decided just to stay out and uh in the meantime, one of my friends in business offered me an opportunity to come join him, and I did, and I'm glad I got that experience from the business standpoint because it helped me very much as an athletic director. You know, once upon a time, coaches would be the coach and the athletic director. Uh, well, uh, yeah, that, 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 that happened for a while, uh, but the job got far too complicated for that, and 
most people have given up that dog. I don't think there's a dual rollout there now anywhere because of all the compliance issues and all of the other sports and the fundraising and the marketing and all that transpires. It's definitely a, a, a two-person need, need to be doing those two jobs. It's not a one-person job anymore with some assistant handling it. You just can't make the decisions and work with this, the senior officials of the university that you need to work with. Is there anything you change about your career? Uh, you know, probably not. I'd like to have won a few more football games somewhere along the way. Yeah, most of us are that way, I suppose. It coached always one or two games that went the wrong way. You'd like to have won and made a decision here or there would have been different. But generally, no, I'm not unhappy about where I am in life. I'm not unhappy about what happened. And I've uh, got the good fortune to go back to the University of Tennessee and be an athletic director and was a terrific experience and wonderful people to work with and uh, I'm, I'm very happy that uh, my, 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 my life followed the pattern it did. That does it for another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. Hope you enjoyed it as much as David and I did with the interviews. I'd like to thank our two guests, Tom Osborne and Doug Dickey, and also our executive producer, Dave Olson. Tune in again next time to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. 